Well, I think that I've seen enough. Do you think that I'm a crackpot? Oh. Are you asking if I believe in elves? No, I don't. But God did. You've been a hell of a lot of help, Doc. And you're one piece of work. Merry Christmas. Oh, yes. Merry Christmas. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Uncanny Cinema. We are here with our Christmas episode, our extra special Christmas episode. We did our five Halloween episodes uh, throughout the month of October. But for Christmas, we're just going to do one Christmas episode, and then we'll have a New Year's episode I'll announce here at the end. And our Christmas episode is 1989's Elves. So we will be looking at that spectacular film, which uh, I don't know if it was actually ever released in theaters. I couldn't find any. There's not a whole lot of information out there about this movie. I'll say that. It just kind of exists as an object that was put out into the world. But uh, yeah, it's hard to say if this was ever theatrically released. If it was, it probably would have been like very minimally theatrically released. It's almost much more likely that it was released direct to video uh, because a lot of horror stuff back at that point was, you know, VHS was obviously huge at that point, And a lot of stuff, horror stuff was going direct to video and doing pretty well. So I wouldn't be surprised if this was a direct to video effort, but I don't know. Um, so yeah, we will be looking at Elves. It is a Christmas-themed horror movie with a lot of other extra elements thrown in for good measure. And uh, we will be digging into each and every one of them. We have a panel of guests here, all returning people, and they are all horror fans. And I think they all are all like fans of bad movies to one degree or another. And so they, uh, to some degree, knew what they were walking into because this is a very, very bad movie um, in many, many ways. It's one of my favorite bad movies of just how awful it is, just how far it goes. But uh, we'll, we'll dig into that. But yeah, so we are here with Eric. Hello. We have Dusty returning. He was on one of our, or both of our political podcasts. Yeah, yeah, this one is uh, on theme. <laughs> and we have Jack here under protest. <laughs> yeah, why Why have you done this to us, Linton? I thought we were friends. I did, and now I know. We are not. Nope, you're just a podcast guest. So, um, <laughs> we are going to be looking at 1989's Elves. It is written and directed by someone named Jeffrey Mandel, who doesn't have a whole lot of credits to his name. He had a couple other things in the late 80s, early 90s that he was co-writing, and I think he worked on a couple of TV shows I've never heard. A couple of the co-written credits on the, the movies also sounded like kind of trash cinema stuff. It had a lot of like cyborgs in them. So I'm, I'm somewhat curious to track these down and see uh, how they measure up. I did find one, but it was like a Rift Tracks version uh, I'm sure it would be funny, but I, I kind of wanted to see it clean. Um, but I skimmed it, and it didn't look quite as crazy as Elves is. But uh, yeah, so we that that's that's the creative talent behind this film. And then we have that's, that's putting it very that's creative and talent are both words that I think maybe should not be applied to this situation. Fair. Uh, and then we have Dan Haggerty is essentially the lead or the co-lead. 
And uh, he is, we were just talking before the podcast started about how none of us know him from anything, <laughs> but he is, was the star of Grizzly Adams. So some of you know him just from the joke from Happy Gilmore, like me, uh, of Grizzly Adams did have a beard. Uh, but yeah, so Dan Haggerty, I think he was, you know, in other stuff at the time, but that's really my only point of reference. No one else is aware of anything that he's done. So sorry if there are any big Dan Haggerty fans out there. And then the rest of the cast is essentially people who I don't think did much else. There's a mother character who is played by a woman named Deanna Lund, and she did have some credits that uh, she had appeared in a handful of things that like I did recognize. So it looked like she had somewhat of a career like both before and surprisingly after this movie. But elves, we will, I, I don't want to spoil the plot, but uh, I'll say, I'll say the the crux of it is you have it's kind of playing in the tradition of a lot of the '80s miniature monster movies. On another podcast that Eric and I were on, we talked about Ghoulies and how Ghoulies came about concurrent with Gremlins, and obviously was kind of aping a lot of things with Gremlins. So you had Ghoulies, you had Gremlins, you had Troll and Troll Two, you had. Um, munchies critters all kinds of junk like that so this is 89 so i feel that it's like right in that zone i mean um gremlins 2 i think came out in 89 as well so i think it's like trying to play into that theme the film is called elves there is only one elf ever shown in the <laughs> film which is wonderful and it reminds me of how in like troll 2 Troll 2 does not actually feature any trolls. And un unfortunately, this is no longer one of the trivia notes on IMDb for Troll 2, but it was for years because I was on there at some point in the past and saw it was gone. But there used to be a note that says, there are no trolls in Troll 2, only goblins. And that's <laughs> so that's the level we're dealing with here. This movie is not as zany as Troll 2. Um, it's as weird or weirder it takes so many bizarre and dark turns it's uh yeah it's it's a lot but the the crux of it is is there's there's an evil elf that looks like a little miniature monster creature kind of it kind of looks like some of the creatures in troll 2. it has a similar like bad prosthetic layer like a, a mask thing i mean it's 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 some kind of puppet but they don't even like let the mouth move so it's just locked in this expression of like its mouth is just slack jawed open with evil eyes the entire movie but it's basically this kind of like malformed little creature like two feet tall and it's going around killing people because these teenage girls summon it for seemingly no real reason that makes sense and they accidentally summon it and it shows up and starts killing people and so that's kind of the basic idea. And the movie, as bad as it is, could have at least worked kind of if it was just that. It was just, okay, they summon this evil creature and now it's going to wipe people out and we're going to do this for 90 minutes, whether you like it or not. And we get to the end and we blow it up. Like, it could have been that. That could have been this movie. But this movie is so much more. They were so much more brave than that, Linton. <laughs> It was the 80s. It was a time to take risks. <laughs> so uh, that would be my introduction a bit to elves. 
And uh, yeah, so let's get rolling. Where do we land? What did we think of elves? Uh, so, oh. I basically, real quick to start, I wondered when I first started watching this why there wasn't a mystery science theater of this. I was like, oh, this seems like right up their alley. Like, why, why wouldn't they, why wouldn't they have done this movie? And then five minutes after I had that thought, the grandfather just slaps the granddaughter in the face full out. And then about 10 seconds later, does it again. It's like, oh, okay. And it just spirals from there. It's just in ways you can't even imagine. It's like, oh, that's I, my answer. I, um, I'll, I'll say this first, but going back to your first point about whether or not this was given a theatrical release, apparently, according to Wikipedia, it was given a limited theatrical release okay. in 89. That's as specific as it goes. And then was released on VHS in 94. So it did oh. sit on the shelves <laughs> for five years. <laughs> Release it, um, cowards. <laughs> um, but going back I would like to see the Snyder out. cut of Elves, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, what Jack was just saying about, you know, when she gets slapped by her grandfather, that's, a, you know, that's about five minutes into the movie. And I think what they're trying to establish is her awful home life, right? Because she, she gets home, he discovers that she had taken a, book from his room or something or even suspected that she did and just slapped her outright it was just like hey grandpa and he slaps her and then there's just, you know and he doesn't even seem like a complete antagonist the rest of the movie it's just they start off with that character like he's a mean old man in a wheelchair and he hits yeah. her and then she goes and talks to her mom who's even more evil who's like evil seemingly um, for no reason like, yeah like soap <laughs> opera like, level evil yeah, she's just like, just like hounding. She just gets back from work, basically, and she's just hounding her. And then it's just like, oh, by the way, I've taken all your money, like all your, your savings. <laughs> yeah. It's mine now. And she's like, you know, smiling about it. And the girl's just like, uh, what am I? And then she goes, well, and, well on that you know, bit, I, I, made, and... I, made, I made a note, though, on that bit when the mom says she's taking away the girl's savings account, really for no reason. She just announces she's doing it. <laughs> and I wrote down, all caps, evil mom music. Because when that happens, they put yeah. this stinger on the soundtrack of like, oh, she's bad, guys. Yeah. Well, and the mom says, uh, basically, she sees the that the girl Kirsten is yes, the main character's Kirsten, name. Kirsten. I'm pretty sure she sees that she has a cut on her hand. She goes, "Are you hurt? Good." Like it's like, <laughs> okay, all right. You know, it really yep. takes a brave mother to ground someone from financial security. That's a, that's a bold move. <laughs> Just... But yeah, Eric, please continue because oh my god, the next, the very next part. Yeah, so now it's like okay, that's what she's living with oh but there's more because she's got a little brother who she goes and takes a shower and is like staring at her as she gets out and she's like what are you yeah. doing you stupid little creep and he's like you got some nice big boobs i'm gonna go tell everyone about that and i'm he just says like, it's so much worse than that though yeah i can't remember the exact line but it's pretty out he also there. sweet he says fuck like several times in about yeah. 30 seconds a, yeah exactly the, the, the kid's like and... 11 or something Dusty, do you have it? Yeah, the exact line he says Please. is, I like looking at naked girls. And then he calls his lawyer and he's like, yeah, that's a that's a fine argument in court. You're, you're good. <laughs> but yeah, but then right after that, instead of like, you know, being like, quit being a, a perf creep, she like goes into a tickle fight with him. Yeah, she tackles him and then she's like spooning with him. Yeah. Yes. And I was like, don't do that. When he's established that this kid is like, I mean, yeah, maybe he's joking around, but he's also like 
probably has some weird attraction to you. Maybe you you might want to make sure that's not the case before you just go wrestling with him yep. in so, a playful way. <laughs> you guys, this um, is the so yeah, first that's her 10 life. minutes. Yeah. First yeah, 10 that, minutes that, of the movie, all of this happens. Yeah. And it and just writer, gets worse. Like, <laughs> he's establishing, oh, ever. oh, she doesn't have a good home life. What, where can we go with that? It's just like, let me think of the worst stuff. And uh... Oh, wait. And this, right after all of this happens... Uh, something is established uh, that at the time does not seem like it's a, an establishing moment. But basically, after all of these horrible things happen with her family, she goes into her room and is cuddling with her cat, who is what named Agamemnon, Agamemnon I think. But it's a Amazing girl name cat. for a cat. Yeah. It's perfect. Did you what? It's a girl I cat get... they established, so they just like muddy the waters unnecessarily. Amazing. <laughs> um, the one credit I will give to this movie is I think that is a pretty cool name for a cat. When I heard that, I was like, oh. So she goes in, she, she's cuddling with her cat in her room. She's like, oh, my cat is the only friend I have left. And at the time, we were just like, well, that's a weird line. That she has all those friends that she just left. We didn't even really talk about the first scene, which we do need to go back to because it's important. But she was hanging out with all her friends right before this moment. But they said that because it was really important for the plot later. They're establishing A, home life very bad. B, loves her cat very much. Surely nothing will come of that. In this film. Oh God. Yes, the uh the the opening the opening bit, um, and feel free to, to throw out any key details you want, um, but it focuses on like three teenage girls who are they the, the main girl, Kirsten, has stolen a book from her grandfather, which incidentally I was looking at the list of character names and Kirsten's mom and grandfather who both have like significant screen time in this movie. They're like easily like third and fourth build in terms of like prominence. They are just referred to officially as Kirsten's mother and Kirsten's grandfather. <laughs> so they have no names. Uh, even though the grandfather speaks to like four or five other people at different points, it's just like never happens. Anyway, so Kirsten and her friends go to enact some kind of ritual with her grandfather's book and she wasn't supposed to take this and they're just like out in the woods somewhere and they're like digging a hole and doing some kind of thing with this book and they make there's some reference about like one of the girls asks why they're doing it and Kirsten says like oh because I didn't get good presents last year it's like some kind of anti-Christmas thing but she says it in a real flippant way so then it's like okay, if that's a joke, why are you really doing it then? Right. So they're just like, I don't know if you're just supposed to read it as, oh, it's like a Ouija board thing. Like they don't think this is real. We're just going to do this goofy thing, whatever. But they so they do this. They also are talking about uh, their boyfriends or wish to be boyfriends dicks in like the first two minutes. Because, um, you know, we got some real great teen girl dialogue going here. And so we establish that they do some kind of ritual thing. And then do they get scared or do they just leave? I can't remember. I think they just leave. They, just right? leave. they, say, they say, oh, the candle. And then for no reason, because the candle's fine. <laughs> and then they all grab the candle. And then the candle breaks. I don't know why. <laughs> it just does. And they bleed all over the hole. Um, so they leave. And eventually an elf shows up, which is the aforementioned two foot tall little puppet thing they made. 
that has, like I said, really bad. Like, I mean, they made no attempt. Like, they literally could have just put somebody's hand inside a puppet to do like the Kermit the Frog mouth moving. And at least that would have been something. Yeah. Like when we talked about ghoulies on this other thing, we talked about how like those ghoulies puppets actually kind of look decent. And it doesn't take a whole lot to convey at least some movement in a puppet. This is basically like a solid foam object that they got somebody to make. And it just, they just kind of like, it's clearly somebody's like shifting it around under, you know, under the frame of the camera. But it, yeah, it makes no kind of discernible like facial movement or anything. But yeah, so it shows up for the first time. And then for the rest of the movie, it's like stalking the characters and occasionally killing them off. I would say, yeah. And then even the expression that they chose to give to the elf, it's just like, <laughs> like mouth agape, like it's like just shocked at everything. Like at least they just, they could have had just like a closed mouth, stern expression. If it's like going around killing people, that's like a little bit more creepy. But its expression is just like, it never fits with what's going on. So insane. Uh, Linton, also, you you skipped over two. Again, you wouldn't expect it, but surprisingly establishing moments that I I would say happen in that first opening. The movie's very rich, is what Jack is saying. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you could rewatch it over and over again, and things just, it's very, uh, very deep. Always something um, new to find. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, one of the things is uh, the line that one of the girls says to the other. She says, we're girls, remember? We're the master race. Yes. And at the time, oh, yeah. I thought that was uh, just some poor choice of wording, of phrasing. Turns out it wasn't. It was very purposeful. <laughs> we'll get into that. Secondly. It was on theme. Jack was doubting this film. And... Oh, yeah. I was. <laughs> Uh, secondly, so you mentioned how they were looking in this book of the grandfathers. Yes. They, they have this picture that they zoom in on the, uh, I, I don't remember if it was in the book or not, to be honest, but it's an important part of this ritual that they're doing. Uh, and apparently it is called the Virgin of Anti-Christmas. That is the name of this picture that pops up later. That is important. Yes, Dusty. I, I would like to point out that the drawing of the Virgin of Anti-Christmas is the hardest anyone worked on this movie. <laughs> yes. Oh, for sure. For sure. I feel Absolutely. so bad for whoever draw that, whoever drew that, because the because the eight little extra lines that they added to it very clearly ruined someone's very, very difficult work. Well said. Well said. All right. So uh, where do we want to go from here? I mean, we're kind of chronicling the plot. And for a movie like this, like the plot is so ludicrous, but it's also it's also what everything springs from that's worth discussing. So if we want to just keep going through it, we don't we normally bounce around a lot, but if we want to keep just progressing. Sure. So uh, I feel like there's no better way to approach this movie. (laughs) So, so then next um, we go to her work, the mall. Yeah. Working at the, I think yeah. uh, not quite. Don't they have a situation where they first encounter the elf with the brother? Oh, yes. That, that does come first. This is, and it's that's right. just as on brand insane as everything else that's happened. Yes, the brother uh, sees the elf outside of his window and freaks out. And says, what's he... It comes in. It breaks in. It attacks him. Yeah, it's like on him. top of him, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what's... And it like uh... scratches him or bites him or something. He says he's a little something ninja. Ninja troll, ninja I think. Ninja troll. <laughs> <is the phrase laughs> he is. 
And this is why it would have been a better title for the movie. It really would have. (laughs) Ninja Trolls, I think, would (laughs) intrigue people more. But that's why it's such a layered and wonderful moment because he's wearing a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle shirt, guy. Great point. Whoa, you're right. The depth. We cannot plumb the depths of this movie. It just goes on and on. So the the mother and sister, I believe, don't believe him. And they think he's just like making something up or had a nightmare. And then even though he's got this like cut on his shoulder, <laughs> it's insane. And, and they're so... just like, oh, no, it's nothing. Go back to sleep. Go back to sleep with your lacerations, child. And he does. Well, he does. He just, he just does. He immediately falls back to sleep like nothing <laughs> happened, even though this weird creature that he's never seen before just was on top of him, like, like drooling in his face, cutting him. And then the mom and sister are like, and I don't think that really happened. And then they close the door and he's like, okay. And then just like immediately like falls back to sleep. And I'm like, no. I think, <laughs> uh, I think Tommy yes. Wiseau did some script doctoring on this film. <laughs> For real. Oh my gosh. Yeah, there's some genuine uh, moments where characters don't really behave in any kind of logical way, uh, which you get in plenty of bad horror. But that's just one of the uh, you know many elements of this. So... Yeah, from there, I mean, I, I honestly am not going to remember literally every sequence of scenes. So if, like, if we skip over something, we can circle back. But I know I mean, shortly after this, so, so eventually the girl goes to work. But should we address the mother, since we're kind of already in the house at this point, should we address the mother and the cat? Sure, that's good. Yeah, yeah while, this is while she's at work, right? Yeah, yeah. so the so, girl... What happens is, yeah. The girl goes to work. And uh, she works at the mall or like a big department store, kind of like a Macy's type thing. And her mother had believed that the her cat, Agamemnon, oh, right. had attacked the boy in the night. That was how they explained it. Yeah, they mm-hmm. initially thought he like had a nightmare or something and they the cat was nearby. It's like, oh, see, it was that cat. And they'd already presented the mother, like I said, as this sort of, you know, evil character in like a soap opera mustache twirling kind of way. And so while the girl's at work, the mother takes, the mother feeds the cat and takes a pillowcase and puts it over the cat's face and like gathers it up like the real cat. And like, you know, so like the cat doesn't know what's happening. And so it like goes in face first. And then hopefully they switch that cat out for a prop. (laughs) But I don't know based on the it rest of this It didn't seem to film. put up much of a fight when, she, what when I was the thinking. actress put the cat yes. in the bag. But yeah. so she so then goes to the bathroom and she proceeds. Wait, wait, wait. Time out. Time right. out. I just want to say, anyone who's listening, if, if what do you think she would do next? If you were to take a cat into the bathroom and if your goal was to get rid of the cat, what would you do to it? Because I guarantee it's not what happens. Go on, Linton. <laughs> She takes the cat into the bathroom, uh, still wrapped up in the pillowcase, and she proceeds to drown it in the toilet Lebowski style. And she just kind of presses the whole body of the cat. Again, we believe that this is not a real cat in this bag, but we can't say for sure. I hope it's not. It might have been a real dead cat, because the cat also did not move when she shoved it into the This was take four. Yeah, Eric might be right. (laughs) So, there was no effort for the cat to like 
So yeah, so they, she is drowning something uh, in in this toilet, and the idea is that you know she's drowning this cat, and she like basically presses it down in where enough water is surrounding the bag so that it could conceivably drown. It's all in like 20, 30 seconds or whatever. And then she goes to bury it in the yard. She had previously dug a hole. And she also has a line where she says something like, now she has something to fertilize her begonias or whatever the hell she mentioned. <laughs> I don't know what it was. But so she just like, the, the setup is that she thinks the cat scratched her son. It's a family cat. Um, she thinks it scratched her son. So she goes from that to like, not, oh, we should give this away. We should find another home or just like drive out to the country and leave the cat, whatever, all kinds of things people might do or just deal like, you know, maybe the cat scratched him and we kind of roll with it for a bit and see if things are cool. Um, like a lot of people do, but no, this lady goes straight to cat murder and then she- Cat murder in the toilet, in the toilet. <laughs> It doesn't make any sense. Well, the tub is right behind her. The sink yes, is to the right. It would take a long time to fill the tub, though. I don't think he's, you know. I don't know. The cat seemed to be pretty cool with this death thing. It probably just would have waited patiently. What's also interesting about the scene before when the kid is attacked and the mom is like, believes that the, it's the cat and like the cat's like in the room and she's like, was it the cat that scratched you? And the daughter's like, takes the cat up and is like, leave my cat alone, like protecting it, like suspecting that her mom wants to do the cat harm, which no doubt she would feel at this point because she's got to believe her mom's just straight up evil with what we've seen so far. But I, you know, I guess she goes to work thinking the cat's going to be fine, but. What is this mom's usual day? <laughs> yes, great just question. doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't work. She has time to dig holes, which I'm, you know, if you don't, if you've never done that, take some time. I think she's living off gold of suspicious origin, if my guess would be. Uh... <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Some stolen artwork. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then, uh, so this is all happening while Kirsten is at work and a fantastic moment like this is if i could show anybody i don't know 10 seconds that is just like here's what all you need to know about the quality level of this film it would be the establishing shot outside of this mall because it's like christmas time as is obvious it isn't but it's christmas time and they have a live band playing outside of this mall and it's what i think a tuba and a trumpet and a trombone right Okay, that is not what you're hearing. What you're hearing is so obviously fake instruments. They couldn't even be bothered to record these instruments that were right there. Couldn't do it. It's like MIDI or something. It is awful. <laughs> it's so insane. It's such a crazy choice. I do not understand it. It feels like they they heard that scene in A Christmas Story and were like, all right, let's just get 10 seconds of that. We can do this. It's so bizarre. Like, why? The instruments are right there. Just record the instruments. Nope, nope. It's going to sound way better if instead of a trumpet, we have a computer pretending to be a trumpet. And this was 1989, so the computer wasn't even good at it. I also love the fact that the guy playing a trombone when it's fully extended blocks the entire sidewalk. So it's very well planned. <laughs> it's so crazy. 
Uh, I mean, yeah, they may, perhaps the people they got to play the instruments didn't actually know how to play them, and that's why they had them. Oh, that's got to be it. <laughs> but, you know, I think finding, finding people that are professionals at those instruments might have been out of their budget. That is you know. such a good point. They got, like a, they got a trombone for like $15 at a pawn shop, <laughs> and they handed it to some like boom mic operator, like, Gary, it's you, buddy. <laughs> All right, cool. That's that mystery solved. Thank you. Now we know why. Perfect. So now the Moving whole on. movie falls into place. It's just the missing piece. It's all piece. coming together. So, yeah. So um, she goes to work. She Where does oh, she God, work exactly what within, within the mall? What is she her job? She works at like a, a Dillard's or a Kaufman's. It's whatever place sells um, camping gear and lingerie. And has a Santa. I thought she was working at the diner. She works yeah, at a yeah. restaurant yeah. inside yeah. it. Weirdly, oh. it's never okay. clearly established. Yeah, yeah it looks kind of like which is out of character for the rest of this film. Really, the sense of space is not particularly great, as is the sense of everything else in the film. <laughs> um, the sense, period. But she, uh, yeah, so she's working. So she has some kind of like uniform that she wears, and her friends are hanging out there. And they have some sort of plan to have boyfriends or pseudo boyfriends come by later at night. And they do, uh, I mean, I'll let Jack, I'll let you speak to this. Because I do think, I mean, the dialogue in this movie is is crazy and f very fun in a how bad it is way. But I think like the female dialogue in particular is oh so God. bad. And they're trying to write young characters and specifically young female characters and I'm thinking back of like how in the original Halloween, which I think is a fantastic horror movie, um, they have, you know, young female characters in there. And I think the dialogue in there works pretty well. And they actually had Deborah Hill wrote a lot of that when John Carpenter wrote most of the like other stuff going on in that movie, Deborah Hill wrote a lot of the teen girl dialogue and it comes across as, as fairly natural. This does not to me i am not nor have i ever been a teenage girl but it doesn't seem real jack oh my god okay so one of one of the things that i wrote down while watching this is that i'm pretty sure that the people who made this movie had only ever made porn before that's the only explanation that i have for the dialogue for this movie because every single scene these girls are constantly talking about dicks and boys and sex and it's bizarre uh it's what very gonna, strange what they're gonna wear yeah. yes Ugh, it's and so... they're supposed to be virgins right some some are and some are also okay. one of the one of the lines great lines from the opening scene is uh one of them goes virgin ew when referring to the virgin of anti-christmas so that just gives you an idea of every single scene with them in it they're very vapid which i mean i was a teenage girl there is a level of vapidity to uh Ooh, some of the conversations it. but they they at least vary you know it's 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 at least multiple things and this is not that and it's they're not even creative it's just insane well, it's, it's crazy it's also like i mean you know i was a teenage boy and obviously you talk about sex and you talk about girls but you also have other interests yeah like you know and, and these 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 female characters these teen girls don't don't i mean you could say that yep. kirsten has a job so she has a couple comments about dealing with her job 
But other than that, her friends are just kind of showing up and their focus is solely on these particular guys and then talking about what they're going to wear. But it's like you could even Mm -hmm. say, all right, well, maybe like shopping and stuff, you could go down some of that road. But it seems like all the stuff of what they're going to wear is for the ends of the guys that they are trying to Mm -hmm. entice. So it's not there's we want to talk about agency. (laughs) There's there's not much to be found. No, not at all. There's nothing. It's and and it's like these are kind of the main characters. I feel like we're supposed to like them, and that we don't. We don't like anyone in this movie. I'm also pretty certain that they went out of their way to hire pe- every single person, make sure they could not act. Like it's like okay, we need to make what was the famous person Dan Haggerty. Dan Haggerty. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they're like, all right, we need him to look like he's the best actor in this movie, and that's a rough call. He plays a. detective homeless santa we'll get into that (laughs) but he is dreadful and so like okay that's the cap nothing better than that and they hey they succeeded good job them i feel like that's part of the problem when you spend your budget on dan haggerty and then you're like oh fuck we still have a monster in this movie and then you spend (laughs) the rest of the budget and all of a sudden all you're left with is just everyone in town (laughs) it's crazy and like, can we take a week to do some rewrites? And like, no, we don't. No, absolutely not. No we're way. Going we're going rewrite it, budget on the picture of the Virgin of Anti Christmas, guys. We're fine. Noting for a quick second, there are three people with writing credits on this movie. Three. It took three people to write this bad of a movie, and I don't understand how that's possible. And one of them don't. still working. Oh no! Hey, don't listen to this Raven. podcast. Whoever you are, you're probably great. Wait, D- Dusty, oh, Dusty had something on this. Go ahead. Yeah, one of them uh, most recently wrote the, uh, oh my God, Jodie Foster movie, The Brave One, where she is a survivor of a um, a physical attack that kills her ah. boyfriend. It's essentially um, Death Wish, but with Jodie Foster. <laughs> I'm sure it was handled wow. very tactfully. Uh, as, as this Did Jodie Foster was. talk about dicks the whole time? <laughs> oh, you know her. She always does. Uh, okay. We have to get into what happens to her at work. I, I'll, because I'll, I'll leave this to you. I feel like this is just, I apologize to everyone listening because all of this is, is just me yelling about this movie and how insane it is. So cool. It's not going to stop. So she and her friends are hanging out at her job and she like has a break coming up or something. And they're like, let's go mess with Santa. Yeah. So they go in the line and it cuts to, you know, a kid sitting on Santa's lap. And for some reason, when they first show the kid, Santa's like, hey, what do you want? He's like, got a bad beard. Like, you can tell he doesn't really care it's about this basic, job. He, and he's like skinny, too. He's like yeah, yeah. skinny yeah. And, and like seamy. Uh, like, uh, yeah. Like, uh, just creepy. Overall Stevie? creepy. What's that? Yeah. Skeevy. Yeah. Well, we find out no, that he's like a, a, a drug Yeah, we find out like, later. <laughs> Santa's <laughs> doing some coke lines later. So we get that in a couple minutes. But... But so he's like this skinny dude that doesn't even make much sense for like a mall Santa. So, but to give a picture in your mind, it's it's sort of like Cletus the Slackjawed Yokel in a yes. Santa Claus costume, yes. but not as charming as Cletus because Cletus is like oh, you God. know a nice enough guy. Yeah. Uh, so this kid is sitting on Santa's lap, and Santa's like, well, "What do you want, little boy?" And the kid like, they show him with his eyes closed for like five straight seconds, and I'm like editing like what is this why is he asleep what's happening and then the kid says something it doesn't matter 
Uh, it was a Nintendo. Nintendo. That's right, a Nintendo. Thank it's you. I don't know why I didn't remember that one. Sale today in the basement. Yeah, as if the kids <laughs> gonna go buy it. I don't know. It doesn't. I don't know what. I don't know what it's... that means. <laughs> so buying for the basement. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, I actually want to take a quick moment on that because clearly please. there is no basement in this mall. Is it um, the Alamo? Is is nice. this just a continuation of what this creepy Santa is all about? real i i mean oh, i don't God. know i i i didn't read the line like that although with this movie who's to say <laughs> but because like they're in those kind of like macy stores and stuff they do have different levels so i guess theoretically you could say the bottom level is the basement like i think sometimes there's ground level like that you walk into and then there is like a basement level um I don't know. Uh, again, I'm giving this movie probably far too much credit that I should, even on this one <laughs> minor point. Hey, Steve, where should we put the hottest toy of 1989? Eh, put it in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Well, by the time it's on VHS, we're in 94, where, you know, Sega Genesis is the big thing. Oh, yeah, so. they, yeah you're right. They were very forward. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, Dusty, you you had something you wanted to share about the uh, the character we're talking about here. Oh yeah, um, not, uh, spoiler alert ahead of time, but that character is named Dead Santa. <laughs> In the credits. In the credits, he is Dead Santa. Amazing. So good. But yeah, let's get to how that happens. So Nintendo Boy gets down, and then Kirsten gets up, and... <laughs> I can't. What, do you guys remember what she says to him? That that causes this line to happen. Not exactly, but I. I think it's pretty flirtatious, she's right? Being, yeah, she's yeah. being flirtatious, and I think the idea is like. I mean, I don't think anything is meant to be sincere. She and her friends. The idea is they're going to go over and fuck with the mall Santa, and it's like okay, like trying to think in the mind of a teen. It's like. I don't know. Would someone do this? Would a teenage girl put them in this, yeah. put themselves in this position to no. like? And it's no. implied that it's something they kind of do regularly because it's like, oh, it's oh, right. it's noon. Let's go fuck with the Santa. Yeah. Like, and their idea of fucking with the Santa is like, sit, or the one girl is sitting on his lap and flirting with, you know, a thirty to forty something man. Uh. So. I don't know if that's like fucking with him so much. Uh, you know, I mean, he doesn't seem to mind. Um, Jack? Oh, God. I just. Okay. So then she says some kind of line to him, and he leans in close to her and says, and I apologize to everyone listening. It's just going to get worse. He leans in and goes, Oral. And she said, What? And he's like, Santa said, Oral. <laughs> It's like, then she freaks out and everybody loses their mind. And it's like insane. But like, also they do this real close up on his face when he says it. And it's the worst thing. And I would just like, I mean, there are a lot of bad and funny and ridiculous lines in this movie. But that one in particular, is like, you have to sit there and think about, even as a fan of bad movies, you have to sit there yeah. and think about that somebody is sitting in front of like a word processor in 1988. And they're like, oh, this is the line I'm going to write. It's going to be this one. <laughs> like, that's what they choose. Oh, my God. So then, yeah, he gets kicked out. I think he gets, like, forced onto a break. Yeah. At first, we thought he was fired. He's not fired. I don't think he was fired. So, so it's it's very much a kind of like, ah, you got to walk this off, buddy. Yeah. Walk this off. 
because the girl gets admonished too because she's yeah. like i mean obviously she shouldn't be doing that like cutting in line and <laughs> as an adult and yeah that's on the, the worst thing that's going <laughs> on right now eric yeah. the girl cutting in line i'm just saying <laughs> so he goes back in the back to the break room starts doing coke and like talking about what like he's gonna get his revenge or yeah. something like that i don't remember he's mumbling to himself while he's doing the coke and then the elf comes in and stabs him like comes up scares him but you know the elf is short and this is a normal human man and so where could he possibly stab him oh that's right the crotch that's the best possible way to get rid of pervy santa Yes, the elf stabs him in the crotch. The elf stabs him in the crotch to death. He Santa falls <laughs> falls to the floor and is eventually bleeding, and you know is, is shown dead. But what's weird in the way this movie functions? Because I mean, everyone on this podcast has seen tons of horror movies and tons of bad movies. Even like the worst of the worst movies usually at least have some kind of concept of what they're trying to achieve with like the monster. Like the monster is, so let's say like a Jason movie. So it's been talked to death and like Scream and elsewhere. Like like Jason will kill people if they are being immoral is kind of the like thing that we've seen. It's not just Jason, it's a lot of slashers. But, you know, so if people are having sex, if people are mean to somebody, there's a lot of like, you know, uh, it, it's same kind of thing with like Tales from, the, Tales from the Crypt, same kind of deal. Like you do something bad and then bad stuff happens to you. Then there's plenty of other horror movies that don't do anything like that. It's just the world is chaos. The world is darkness. Like shit will just happen to you. And here's a monster. And like, you you know, you can be totally pure and perfect, but you could die. And, you know, there's other times where monsters will serve metaphorical purposes and all these kind of things. But what they want to do with this elf creature is so bizarre because that moment right there in most horror movies would play as, oh, pervy Santa or dead Santa, as we know him to be from the credits, pervy Santa is like doing something wrong. And therefore he is punished by the code of the horror movies. And he's punished in a way that's quote unquote fitting for what he did. But the rest of the movie doesn't operate like that. Like the, nope. the elf is not some kind of avenging agent. He's not wiping people out. He just kind of intermittently kills people. There's no real reason given why he kills this Santa. We find out later what the elf is actually trying to achieve. And it's not just stabbing yeah. people to death or whatever. So it's like the elf has, whether he's conscious of it or whether it's some kind of innate thing brought on by dark magic, he has some kind of goal, but he is not a moralizing horror character. So that moment is even weirder because it's like, well, wait, the yeah. elf has like a purpose. Why does he give a fuck about this guy? Why is he doing this? Yes, exactly. I had that same thought. My only notion would be that since the elf's goal, as we do find out, has to do with the, the main girl. Um, and maybe, and since he probably followed her to the mall and that's why he's there now, maybe he witnessed the incident with her and the santa it's possible and doing but the that movie doesn't protect show her. you I, that it doesn't yeah you know, no. it doesn't give you enough to put that together i don't think that was what i thought at first i thought i was like okay this is going to be kind of a thing where uh she notices that anybody who's causing her trouble gets uh, like knocked off right. by this elf and then it's going to be some nope. sort of thing like that no no i gave no. the movie way too much credit Nope. Not at all like that. The the elf clearly has agency. Like it's not just 
as we learn, it's not running by somebody. It's not a puppet. I mean, it is a puppet. You know what I mean? Uh, it's not being run by anybody else. It's doing whatever it wants. But that doesn't make any sense. None, none of what it does make any, makes any sense. This is kind of the last one where it's like, oh, I see what you're doing. I see what you're going for. All right. Not not after this. All right. So, uh, so Santa is dead. Dead Santa has finally fulfilled his name. And from there, I think it makes sense to dig into our main character. And we have that's Dan Haggerty playing Mike McGavin. And through, Did you say he's the main character? Well, I, I said earlier I that I think he's is. kind of like a co-protagonist. Co-main, yeah. But yeah, by the end, I, I mean, like, he virtually disappears, but he drives a, a good amount of the plot. So I think it's like fairly split. Um, <laughs> okay. He's the lead in the sense that he's the biggest person they have in the cast. But yeah, I mean. <laughs> I'll also accept that. Yeah. But yeah, so Mike McGavin is Dan Haggerty, who I think is like probably in his 50s at this point. If you don't know him, he's kind of like this big beer bellied, bearded dude. And Jack referred to him earlier as Homeless Santa. Because, Detective Homeless Detective Santa. Thank Homeless you very Santa, much. <laughs> because at some point in the movie, um, early on, he gets evicted from his trailer, which I didn't know was possible. <laughs> like, like, I guess theoretically people could be renting trailers. And it wasn't even in a trailer park. It was just like, I don't know, no, like out on the railroad road. tracks or something. <laughs> and he comes back and there's a sign on his door and he's like, oh, not tonight kind of thing. Yeah, but I took that he, to be uh, that the trailer grew sentience and just developed a thing that front. Yeah, because I figured if someone else owned the trailer and wanted him to not have it, they'd just take it away. Like, just, it wouldn't be where he left it. I thought about that, but maybe, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know the laws. I don't know trailer law. So maybe they have to give him notice because otherwise they'd be like taking his possession. So maybe he has 30 days or something to pay back rent. I don't know. The movie doesn't explore these questions like we feel <laughs> good, but uh, it just wants us to establish that he's down. Yeah, his he's luck down in his luck. And, and, and other breadcrumbs that come out is that he was a big drinker. And I think he's shown drinking occasionally throughout the movie, but it's never like he's not like blasted drunk or anything like that. What he is shown doing constantly is chain smoking, just chain oh smoking the entirety <laughs> of the movie. <laughs> I don't think that was the character. I think that was Haggerty just dealing with what was going on. At one point, wasn't he smoking while while brushing his teeth? I think yes. so. And and I also really oh liked that, God. like, I don't think this was a deliberate choice. It would be giving the movie far too much credit to say this was a deliberate choice. I think it's probably what Eric is saying, is that Dan Haggerty probably was just chain smoking constantly. But it seemed like every time he had a cigarette in his hand, like, in a scene, it was like, burnt down to a nub like at no <laughs> point was he lighting a fresh cigarette was like one halfway gone it was like there's like a couple centimeters left of this thing and you see it that way it's it was like uh i don't know if they did it like uh you know clint eastwood good the bad and the ugly thing where he measured the size of his own cigars to like figure out oh well, this scene it needs to be this length anyway so dan Haggerty is chain smoking um but he we find out through dialogue that he used to be a detective and because there's some cop characters that show up that also just completely disappear in the back half of the movie, which is weird. They spent like two or three scenes developing this, like our good detective. And then he just like totally drops out of the plot. But they, we establish from him that Haggerty basically got kicked off the force for drinking 
But at another point, Dan Haggerty is talking to himself once he's kind of realizing some elf bullshit's going down. He's got to like try to figure out what's happening. But he's talking to himself and it, it's one of my favorite lines of the film. There's some more to this dialogue, but the, the crux of it is just give up, man. I'm not a detective anymore. I'm not even a store detective anymore. <laughs> and <laughs> I just, there's just so much good dialogue in a bad movie way in this movie. And that's, that's one oh, yeah. of my choicest bits, but uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, so let's open the floor a bit on on Dan Haggerty. Any any thoughts on this character? I, well, I'd like to go to the his first appearance, which I found oh, hilarious because he's he's going to the I guess store manager who pops up, you know, as he's kind of running the show, and he he's, they they establish that they have some sort of history, they know each other because the store manager's like, hey, dude, you know. I'm glad you're here. There's always a place for you here. Like he's very nice to him. And then Dan Haggerty's like, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm clean now. I've been to rehab. I'm not drinking anymore. And I, if, if you have a job for me, I'd, it'd be great. And like the guy's like, uh, you know, we hire out for security now. So we have nothing. And Dan Haggerty's like, yeah, just anything you could do. Be great. To you know, and it's the most sincere his performance ever gets. Like he was he's just <laughs> like, he's just like very like straightforward, like anything you have. And then the guy's re reaction to that is just like, Fuck you! I said there's no job. Yeah, I'm just like it's I thought they were like crazy. He gets really mad at him when he's like just like really vulnerable, and I'm just like, what the hell's going on? And it's like what two days before Christmas as well, I think. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it kind of feels yeah. like the rest of the dialogue that got cut out was we're filming a scene here, Dan. You gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely bizarre. Yeah, and every time that manager shows up, he's he says words very weirdly. He's like, I'm not sure if this guy's an actor, just kind of somebody they found. Maybe it's the real store manager. I don't know. He said, uh, he said donuts is donuts. <laughs> it took me a while to figure out what he was talking about. Donuts. I can't remember why. I think he was offering. He's like, you can go have some donuts in the, the yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> diner. I couldn't yeah. remember that word. Um, and I think that's how Detective Homeless Santa meets the girl because yes. she's nice to him at the diner. When he's nice to her because her cat has disappeared, actually been oh, drowned yeah. to death in a toilet. But she, her cat... <laughs> she doesn't know that yet. She, Well, she never learns it, I don't think. I don't think... Or does her mom find... No, her mom finally reveals it? Her mom does okay, say... Okay. Her mom says that she kills the cat. She does not say, well, I drowned it in the toilet, yeah. honey, as it's common. So, yeah, the girl... Uh, the cat has gone missing. Her mom lied to her. And she eventually then is back at work. And she's talking to Dan Haggerty. And he's, you know, like... Oh no, you know, I, f I feel bad about your cat. I, I used to have a pooch of my own and blah, blah, blah. And then this is their bonding moment that the movie spends mm -hmm. all of 30 seconds establishing like, well, you know, they're okay. And then from there, they cross paths at different points. Just, yeah, absolutely. I, I will admit that after this point, I lose track of kind of what's happening. Cause you sure. know, I, I look over at my notes and I'm kind of like taking notes on each scene. It just starts to get so crazy and confusing that I, I lose a bit of track. So I feel like at this point we might end up starting to jump around a sure. little bit. I think generally what happens next is the scene where they all, the, the girls meet up in the mall for a sleepover. Yeah. So um, the they girls. sex sleepover. 
<laughs> yes, the girls want to have sex with their pseudo boyfriends in the tents in the mall or the Macy's or whatever it is. The the specific section, like you said before, there's like a hunting camping section. Uh, also, so they had three tents already pitched up and they're like, look, one for each of us. And also there's a sign that keeps showing up in multiple scenes because this is a long section of the movie. So long. Uh, but it's a, I think it says great gifts for mom and it's racks of guns. I was like, yeah, that's cool. Feminism. I appreciate that. <laughs> yes. This is a very feminist movie. Jack is correct. <laughs> um, but yeah, the uh, the girls during this point, they're also modeling for each other in different clothes, uh, one of which is a girl just wearing like uh, like lingerie and like a, a nightgown kind of thing. Dusty. I don't know why, but this scene made me so irrationally mad <laughs> because, yeah, their fr her friend Amy comes out and she's wearing essentially the a caricature's version of a virgin wedding night sex outfit. And like she's out there and she's so proud of herself and her friend is like no way ew and she's like way and they have this valley girl argument and i was like you fuck off amy has made a choice she is killing it <laughs> quit being a shitty fucking friend it's not like you're trying on lingerie fuck off yeah yeah for real they're really mean to each other and that was one of the moments that I wrote down this dialogue is nothing that was one of my notes because that conversation literally is way no way way no way way whatever that's how it goes <laughs> that is how it that's goes. how that i'm so I mad think, though i i honestly think that is an attempt at humor though i'm not saying it's funny but i think they're trying to play that for laughs so yes yeah, wow. so the the girls uh are getting dolled up and dan Haggerty, meanwhile has like found a weird looking symbol on the ground that the elf left behind in blood and the symbol uh there's more to this that we'll save for later but the symbol kind of looks like a cross with sort of like another bar near the top and then there's sort of like like a like kind of like a half moon on top of that so it's like it's kind of a bizarre looking specialized symbol and we know it has some kind of significance for all the shit that's going on and so dan haggerty is trying to piece stuff together and he leaves momentarily and he puts like tape on the door and um eventually like their boyfriends are going to show up and uh so they're going to have tape on the door as well so this is there's kind of like weird colliding storylines with this tape stuff um the boyfriend characters uh this is something eric and i watched this last night uh over two seven and we they just disappear we're not really spoiling anything here the boyfriend characters like show up one of them gets like hit in the head and I think killed, but the cops never say it. We never see a body later. So I don't know if he survived or not. The other two guys, I don't know if they ever got inside. I don't know if they left because Eric and I were both on the uh, place of thinking, oh, well, they're like horror movie, like cannon fodder. They're going to get killed by stuff that's going on. They get away scot-free, I think. One of them might die. But so that's that's some of the messiness Jack is alluding to of like stuff just kind of happens and is happens. murky and it's like, wait, what did is that over? Are they coming back? I don't know. Yeah, that would have been such a great elf moment of just like seeing this elf one on three. We well, we are also robbed of uh, of the tense scenes, which would, you know, <laughs> you thought one of them 
one of the couples would be killed in the tent <laughs> while having sex. Like, I, I mean, all right, it we seems see like the taste of this Eric movie really would want to go. That's just like that's the type of movie it seems like it is. It's like, oh, it's like a schlocky slasher type. That's fair. That teenagers will be into. So they've got to be killed while having sex. And it just, it doesn't even get close to that. Briefly on nudity for this movie, fair point to Eric, this type of movie is generally a reason or an excuse to see boobs. Like, that's kind of the point a lot of a lot of these movies. And they kind of, a little bit in the very beginning, are like, eh? Eh? Because when Kirsten is uh, taking a shower, you know, right before her brother talks about her boobs in the grossest and weirdest way possible, uh, they show, like, just the tiniest, just a little bit of a nip. Just, like, the tiniest (laughs) possible amount of nip that you could ever put on screen and have it be, yes, okay, that's what that is. And then nothing. You know, which I'm fine with. I have no qualms with this. (laughs) I'm not here to see nips. I'm fine. So I thought, okay, maybe I'm safe. Maybe maybe this movie will be taste. Yeah. <laughs> then later, there is a scene where a woman dies, and she's nude the whole time, and it's just full body, and you see mm-hmm. everything, everything, and for a long time, mm-hmm. it just goes from like, oh, just uh, 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 maybe something to here it all is. Here's all of it. Here you go. Yep. Here's a feast, but nothing in between. She, uh, she is correct. That is true. That is what happens in the film. I uh, I think it makes sense. Uh, Dusty, do you have something related to this? Because I, I do want to move on to a topic I think makes sense to bring up now, at least initially. Fair. No, it was just kind of an interest. I, I think I, I think Eric said tent, but it sounded like tit. So I <laughs> Wait, think I that's forgot. where that came from, but still. <laughs> I just realized, I think the Virgin of Anti-Christmas, that picture, I think she her her uh, chest is of, uh, sure. yes. visible. Yes. And yeah. just there. I think she just has no top on and she's got big old boobies. And that comes back later. That's important. We'll get yes. there. So, um, yeah. So, meanwhile, there's been a subplot that we haven't addressed yet. And we're, we're coming up to the point when it becomes very important to the plot. So, we have this elf that's running around that was some kind of dark magic thing that was brought you know, to, to our reality that the grandfather who's in a wheelchair has these books and he's presented basically like Dr. Scott from Rocky Horror. He's, you know, just sort of this like learned old man type generalization kind of thing. And um, so he, meanwhile, has been talking about this kind of these grave forebodings of like, you can't use this book and, and stuff like that. And he won't, um, he won't reveal stuff, but he's very, curious about what kirsten was doing with her friends of like what and he keeps wrapping and unwrapping this crystal that's very unclear and there are some men who show up to his house and they talk about uh he lives with the mother and kirsten and the little boy who is willie who shows up in those early scenes and then doesn't show up until the very end of the movie but um, they all live together in the same house, and these uh, men show up and start talking to the grandfather about, you know, some kind of order that they're involved in and some kind of mystical stuff. And it's like the movie, to its credit, is trying to intentionally not show its hand at this point. I think it's like alluding to some stuff. You don't quite know what's going on. But so it's there's there's some kind of shenanigans, evil shenanigans the grandfather's involved with with this the group. And you also get the idea that the grandfather like 
disagrees with the group. Like he broke away from the group that, that there were decisions that were made years ago and that he now views it to be wrong. And so that's kind of the crux of where we're at. And then Dan Haggerty goes to, he goes to a professor that he's somehow aware of, or he read. A Did he, was that before or after the library? I think that was after the library, which after we, the library. I, we yeah. got to talk about, cause that's my okay, favorite scene. Go ahead. But, no, go ahead. Uh, cause well, I'm no, I would want to talk about it now. We just have to talk about it. I think you're on a good roll. I don't want to knock you off this cause this is important. Well, but the library, are you talking about, cause there's two professors. There's the library professor and the turkey dinner professor. Yes. Yeah. But are you talking about a different <laughs> library scene? Am I forgetting something? Yeah, that's where he goes and finds a book. And I oh, think... you're right. There's two library scenes. Yeah. Good point. I forgot. That's cool. You're right. The first. So he, you mentioned earlier, he found that symbol, yes. and then he's like, he drew it, and then he went to a regular library to try and. Uh, he's like, oh, I'm gonna look up occult symbols. So he shows it to. <laughs> sorry he shows it to the librarian uh, and he's like hey do you know where i can find anything on it like occult symbols like this and she's like yeah it's in section 666 and he's like what for real are you kidding me as he's walking off yeah he says like oh that, is that a joke and like <laughs> and it's very weird like yeah just the line reading uh is of this movie in general is summed up in the way that he says that yes because he doesn't even seem like yeah, it's very odd when he says it. I yeah. do remember thinking, so, like, that's so a weird, weird way to read that line. It's so weird. And then he finds a book. The first book he looks at has the symbol in it and, like, leads him on this, like, exact journey he needs to go on. I can't remember what it said, but he gets to the idea of elves very quickly. Um, the 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 twist is when he gets the book, uh, two pages have been torn out. That's right. That's and right. he keeps repeating to himself that there is a professor at i think like taft university or taft, yeah like yes. that. it's very specific i think he, i think he mentions that phrase like even before he goes to the library like he just says it and it doesn't know why I, we don't know why he knows this guy yeah. his existence maybe I, it's, it's, talking, past, it's totally vague of like if he learned of this guy because of the book or if he knew of him back when he was a detective or possibly when he was a store detective we don't know <laughs> Um, but yeah, so somehow he talks to himself all the time. And so you're learning a lot of things that he's thinking about because he's just talking to himself and it, he does it in this library and somebody behind him turns and goes, shh. And it's, it's like, okay. Movie. And he all shushes right. her back, I believe. Yeah. Uh, also, he talks to himself much in the style of Raymond Chandler detective novels. See, this movie's very deep. <laughs> Um, absolutely but yeah so uh but basically he he gets this book somehow it leads him on the correct path to go meet dr fitzpatrick who is the most fun character in this movie if you have seen yes. troll 2 there is a character in troll 2 who is like the witch character and that lady in troll 2 is the most like over the top zany making these crazy faces and she's the most fun in that movie she's the one person in troll 2 who understands oh this movie's ridiculous and i'm gonna lean hard into this and she ends up like that no one else is at her level so like she stands out but then everyone else is like just so like bad and flat this guy i think is in coming from a similar school and uh, he, he really ups it a notch, um, but he is presented as this like college professor um, and he's in the like school library, which I mean, it's like a school library that has like 
that old timey 1800s den like like walk up to a second level of books that I've never seen in any college library in my life. But anyway, they somehow they got access to this thing. He uh, so he's presented as this you know very intelligent, knowledgeable guy about symbology, and our detective man, detective homeless detective Santa, detective homeless Santa. Detective yes, thank you. Santa goes and shows him the symbol, and the guy is very excited and wants to talk about it. And he's going to get books and he's spouting off all this stuff, and basically what he reveals is and i'm sure some of you will have choice details to throw in that i'm going to forget but basically he reveals that the symbol is tied to elves that it is tied to revelations that it is tied to the bible and then it's revealed that uh the nazis were very adamant about bringing back elves through dark magic and whatnot and he comments on how you know they were a bunch of crazies and that kind of stuff and the movie has this is my favorite line of the movie. You would have heard it at the beginning of this show because I am absolutely using it as the opening part of this show. But uh, it has an amazing line of dialogue where Dan Haggerty is then asking him like, oh, do you think I'm a crackpot? Because he was just talking about the Nazis being crackpots for believing in elves. And the guy says, are you asking me if I believe in elves? No, I don't. But God did. <laughs> And it's incredible. It's so good. I love it so much, uh, which is why you've already heard it at the beginning of this episode. But I just have to stress my love of this moment and line. But that's basically what's going on. Dan Haggerty has learned key stuff. I will leave open the floor for anyone else who wants to do details off of that or into our next professor because he has to go to a second professor. Of course. You know, why not? Uh, this guy... Oh, no, Jack, you go first. Just I was just going to say I, I lied earlier. I said no one acted in this movie. This librarian does. I love him. He's so good. He all of his lines are delivered like it feels like a mile a minute. He's probably talking normally, but you're just used to the rest of this movie where everyone is so dull and lifeless. And suddenly he's very alive on the screen. He's talking and talking. He's very excited. And he has like. I don't even know how to describe how he talks. At one point, he says, do come along. And I'm like, you're amazing. Please, can we just, the rest of the movie, I want to abandon this plot. Let's just follow you. I I, and I feel like that, that moment could have been real, like unscripted. Because yes. he starts walking up the staircase, and Dan Harrod is just standing there. <laughs> and he basically is just like, I want, I want you to follow me. Like, just like, and then he, and then he starts We to need go. this like, for the scene, like Dan. Was... <laughs> <laughs> so good. Go. We're running out of film. So good. <laughs> oh man but yeah he's i i I couldn't agree more he is the one person who acted when he showed up it was a breath of beautiful fresh air (laughs) this is like oh my god someone's trying what's dan gonna do (laughs) he hasn't had to act with anyone yet it was perfect and when it ended i was so sad because we were dragged back into this horrible movie where kicking and screaming yeah, Nazis and elves are combined. Yeah, I, I think to show how boring this movie is, we've completely skipped the Nazi shootout at the Kaufmans. Oh, you're right. Absolutely. You're right. right. The, Jumped the, right the, over yeah, that. The yeah. second villain. Well, I wanted, I wanted to establish way. who they were. I wanted to give some context. That's fair. No. Um, sorry. But no, no. No, I think we did. We got yeah, to the Nazis. Um, there's also <laughs> some other choice lines right around this point. Uh, I think it's from the first professor scene 
where he reads some passage uh, and uh, when there is no more room in hell, the elves will walk the earth. <laughs> so we get that little bit of dialogue someone wrote and a word processor in 1988. <laughs> and then um, when Dan Haggerty goes to visit the second professor, who's uh, this is Christmas Eve, and he goes to visit the oh, second yeah. professor at his home while he's like carving the turkey for his family. And he basically barges into his house and is saying, oh, it's a matter of life and death. You got to tell me stuff. Um, but the kind of opening line for getting information from him is, I want to know the connection between the elves and the Nazis. So that's a line of dialogue that exists. And the guy is like, in, he's fine with it. Like he's right on yeah, board with it. You know exactly what he's talking about. He's like, fine, I'll tell you the connection between the Nazis and the elves. It'll, it'll, it'll go away. This happens all the time. I am carving my turkey yes. in my second floor dining room in front of my two children. And people just want to know about Nazis and elves. Which, by the way, those two children, second favorite part of the movie. Because they are fucking yes. around the whole time never leave they just stare in fact they cut to a shot of these two tiny children two little bitty girls and they're just staring they're not doing anything they're just watching this happen it's like thanks we needed that shot that's good that you showed us that and in between that shit they're just like reaching out for the food on the table and just clandestinely stealing it and handing it to each other weird I, I also there's also this subtle moment when he, when he actually starts talking to the professor and after like things have calmed down for a second and he kind of like leans near one of the girl's chairs and has his hand like on the chair very near her and i'm thinking like in real life that guy would be like please step away from my kid right? <laughs> like, <laughs> the guy who barged really into my home <laughs> like just like got his arm around the girl like yeah so tell me about the nazis please man drenched in booze and cigarette smoke who looks like he hasn't slept in four days please keep away from my daughter sir oh my god who's coming to ask me about nazi elves my children have had a very hard week just a few days ago they heard a santa at the mall say oral very loud <laughs> so and then a new santa popped up which was you apparently <laughs> Yeah, I don't think we ever addressed. Yeah, did we say that he got the job as the mall Santa? I don't think we did. No, because it barely yeah, matters. Yeah, she's right. Like, oh, yeah, but yeah, basically, uh, because the other, because dead Santa does indeed die, uh, this, uh, you know, detective homeless Santa is true to his name. Um, and he is homeless because he, like, sleeps in, like, a storage shed, you know, in the, he's, like, in the back storage room of this place. But, uh, yeah, he, he does. he got kicked out of his trailer. Yeah. Is that where the guy, the other Santa got killed? Is that the same one? <laughs> yeah, they, and they show it multiple times. Yeah, the yeah. ape is still on the ground. Out, yeah. Yeah. Before, yeah. yeah, and it's got the uh, blood stains around the crotch area, yeah. just in case you forgot. So that's why So that's why he's hanging around, uh, and that's, you know, he's got a big beard, and so he, like, makes sense. But, yeah, it's so incidental to the plot. He doesn't spend much of any time as Santa, and, yeah, whatever. But so he does become Santa at one point. During his talk with second professor, the professor also displays a couple possibilities for where the plot is going. Um, he, he's like, doesn't want him in the house, but he's saying like, all right, well, here, here are the things that I know. And one is that the Nazis wanted elves as super soldiers is, is one, it's one take. And then the other possibility is that they want elves as like a genetic engineering experiment, both with the end goal of taking over the world. So, we have now officially entered into Nazi territory. It was already alluded to with different lines. We already had some suspicions with the grandfather and the 
We have you know, members of his the order. German accented grandfather. Yes. But uh, I don't think at this point anything was made explicit until then. We had the mention of the master race in the opening, very thematic, very on on theme. But yeah, they I think it's this point when it's finally kind of unveiled with the two professors discussing. And then you're kind of like, oh, now I kind of get what's going on with the grandfather, at least a little bit, or at least you think you do. But there's more yeah. coming. Uh, so, oh my God. so yeah, so that's kind of what's going on. And then um, I'll just kind of rush through a couple points here. But we talked about how back with the, the grandfather's group is actually trying to protect Kirsten because they need her for a specific reason. And they uh, they barge into I, th I think it's because the door was taped open. I mean, they were going to like come in anyway. That's when like the pseudo boyfriend gets clubbed on the head and maybe killed. We never really find out. They come into the mall and there's a shootout and the elf is also in there. And <laughs> so it's just a lot happening. Like Dan Haggerty, like gets a gun from the gun shop in there. And like the, he's not even a mom. Yeah. And so like, but these Nazis are like firing and stuff. They basically, they dispatch with her two friends in like, I mean, it's a horror movie and you expect deaths. But like I was saying, when Eric and I watched this, we assumed that the boyfriend characters, because we spent no time with them, we assumed, oh, they're coming in here to die. That's why they're here for the plot. Not that we like these girls, but we have spent time with them. We have The movie has mm. invested time with them. And so it's weird with how i mean it's not super weird in the sense that this movie's like pretty sexist when it comes down to it like there's a lot of choices that are like are not good but so you could explain it away that way but one of the girls is stabbed to death by the elf and the fact that the elf uses conventional weapons is a point i really enjoy but <laughs> she's that he doesn't have some kind of dark magic or anything that he just stabs people but he he stabs this girl to death but the other one is a girl was like kidnapped or or just like detained by these nazi guys and eric had never seen this and we're watching this and his assumption was oh they're like they're gonna hold her for ransom or tr there's gonna be some kind of trade you hear a gunshot go off and then there's like another scene and they're in an elevator and you come back and it's like, no, she got shot in the head point blank in an elevator off screen. And that's it for her. We're moving on. <laughs> Cause I, I don't remember what the conversation was before they killed her because it sounded like they were trying to use her for something or get information where Kirsten is. They want to know where Kirsten is. Yeah. And it, and it seems like, yeah, I, I don't know if there was any reason to kill her. Or maybe oh. keep using her for that purpose, but they were just like, "Yeah, you're like, I don't know." And it doesn't seem like letting her go could have been an option because she's not going to foil your plot, I assume. But I don't know. I don't know. Maybe the actress is like, "I will only be in this movie if you kill me," or maybe it, they were part way through filming and she's like, "You got to kill me. I need out. I hate this." Well, now I assume they I'm, I'm gone. Wanted some people killed just for a horror movie body count, but still, like it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Not that much in this movie does, but at least the elf sort of makes sense because it's presented as a monster. I don't know. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. That whole yeah. So there's a shootout, and everyone 
except Kirsten and Detective Homeless Santa die. Do, do the Nazis live? Are they okay? They get away. Yeah, I don't they, think they hear they oh, hear these sirens. Well, they die later. Okay, right. Uh, yeah, but his detective, former detective, has like a shootout where he fires like 80 rounds and doesn't hit a single one. Like no one hits anybody. Like it's just blind firing of guns. And like you could have killed one of the Nazis in that scene and make it more action, but I guess that was too much. No, no, let's kill the women instead, please. <laughs> well, and it's not like they're even youthful Nazis. At at best, the youngest one is like 45 and he's yeah. seven foot tall. You have yeah. a chance. It was so bad. It was boring also. Like you could there's so yeah. many ways to make a shootout in like the middle of a mall interesting, and they did none of those things. Don't worry. It was bad. So I think now we come to a major turn in the film. And mm-hmm. The movie has mm-hmm. all kinds of choices, and we've talked about many of them. And this was a choice as well. And <laughs> they decided to make it. And so it's not, I don't know exactly where it falls in the plot in turn. It's after, it's in between professors. Okay. So we're, we, we get some information at, at a certain point, and then more information is given with the, the Nazi group. So I, I would I think it probably makes sense just kind of lump it all together. So anyone want to take this? I can do it, but I leave the floor open. Um, I'll try. I don't yes. remember the exact dialogue. We're talking about the the mother confrontation. That, that's, that's correct. On, um, past that, but yeah. Um, but basically, she's back home confronting her mother. After no. after all of her friends died, her mom doesn't even That's believe right. that her well, friends died. Oh, and, and I'll, I'll yeah, throw this care. out too because I think once we once we explain this, we're going to just kind of go headlong into the rest of this. The mother yeah. shortly after this is killed by the elf. This is the woman who is electric. She gets electrocuted in a bathtub because the elf knocks a radio in the bathtub and is like kind of head bangingly watching her die. He is so yeah. into it. What's that, Dusty? <laughs> this is like, he is so into it. It is like the highlight of his new life. <laughs> so yeah, so they kill this mother character and um, we, we do get a great scene where Dan Haggerty, or like the little boy is like, what's happening? Where's mom? She's fine. She's going to be fine. <laughs> um, so I like that. But yeah, so basically eventually the mom is done away with. Um, but before that, we get some revelations that basically propel the rest of this plot. We have our third act reveal. Eric? I want Eric to do it. Well, they're, they're in an argument, and I think it's, it's established that the mom believes that her friends were killed, but just doesn't care. And then yeah, she's just basically. like, oh, I'll be mean to you more. And then, and then it, you know, the girl finally fires back at her mom, which I don't know why it would take this long when your mom has just been this awful to you your whole life. Um, and she says, I wish it was you that died instead of dad, which is usually like, oh, yeah, you got her there. <laughs> and then her mom's like, oh, really? Because <laughs> dad's not dead. And she's like, what are you talking about? You can go talk to him right now in the study. Well, what do you mean? Only grandpa's in the study. He's like, yeah. <laughs> and it together it's yet? like it's like Arrested <laughs> Development, like pop secret, <laughs> but in the worst way possible. <laughs> And then, so their mom, her mom's just like laughingly telling her that, yes, you are the child of my father fucking me. 
And then she proceeds to hit her again. Oh, yeah. But in a way where she's doing like a backhand motion, but there's not enough room between them in the scene. So she kind of just shoves her forearm into her <laughs> neck and they both kind of like fall off screen a little bit. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's a wonderful scene. It's just so memorable. And so for this movie that has everything, Nazis, incest, incest Nazis. Um, yeah, we, we find out that, yes, apparently... That is what went down with her grandfather and her mother. And that not only that, but it was for some kind of Nazi plot that this was organized as part of this sect that they needed, like, I don't know, a pure child or part of the pure race. They know they're, they kind of gloss over this. Dusty. They said it had to be a pure bloodline, which as we all know, incest always produces oh, a yeah, very absolutely. pure bloodline. <laughs> so... Uh, he went along with this. She, the girl confronts him and he says, I took no pleasure in it. And, uh, <laughs> and, and he also says that the woman was drugged, which like, he says it in a way like, oh, it was okay then. It's like, well, movie, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It read a lot like Humbert Humbert trying to actual, like trying to reason why he likes Lolita so much and his yeah. plans. Uh, so it's bad. Okay. Professes his love to the granddaughter as she's running away from him. Um, it's like, yeah, I understand. I love you. And it's like, that's not going to help. <laughs> so, yeah. Just... So at this point, it's basically every all the cards are on the table. All of them. And it's been revealed that the Nazis are going to use her and they want to usher in the master race. And that... Can I, can I quote the direct... Yep. I think you learned this at the Turkey place the the turkey professor the goal of the elf is to quote mate with the virgin on christmas eve to produce the master yes. race that is a quote i have that from the I also movie. Have that in all caps and bolded for myself so yeah, uh -huh. yeah right yes. there with you on that page um but yeah so so the movie explains that so that's what these shadowy figures have been trying to do the whole time they've been trying to get the elf together with Kirsten. The elf, I guess, has just kind of like been murdering people just because, just because as an agent of evil, the movie doesn't really say. But um, so then they're barreling toward trying to get them together. There's this kind of confusing shootout in the house and a lot oh, of the yeah. Nazis get killed and uh, Detective Homeless Santa gets shot. And you don't really know if he dies. You later find out that he didn't, but at least only for a bit. He's like still hurt. He gets no resolution. He has no resolution in the plot. We don't know if he lives or dies and not in like a cool, like it's left open-ended way. It's just sort of like, I don't know. We forget about him. Oh, but during this, this is one of Jack's favorite parts. Uh, during this, oh, God. We, um, we have the book that we had talked about and seen. And we had, what was the girl referred to as in the book the uh virgin of anti-christmas yes. so we have that yeah. drawing and it's like a naked woman and i think there's runes and stuff and snakes and i don't know she's holding a cup and i think the crystal yes i think those are the two things she's holding and so the movie like gives some payoff to a long running thing thread of the film, which has been, we had seen this symbol 
every time the elf had etched it onto the floor or it had been in some way attached to these murders. And that was the symbol that that uh, Christmas uh, homeless detective homeless Santa took to uh, to the professors and stuff. So then we finally get to reveal what that symbol is and Dusty enlighten us. I mean, I, I hate to steal Jack's word from, from Facebook, <laughs> but I believe you said swastitities. <laughs> Swast- I did. That is correct. Swastitities is uh, what we got going on. Or swastitkas, yes. I think, was the, was the first thing I said. Yeah, I, I missed the pun initially. And then I saw oh after God. the fact, I was like, oh, that's good. I like that. But yes, uh, swastitkas. I was so angry. As soon as that moment happened, I'm just all caps screaming at Linton uh like what why why is this happening what is going on so yeah they draw that symbol over the boobs you know the obvious place to be drawing so remember, the symbol it makes so remember much remember the symbol is like kind of like a cross with a bar at the top and like kind of a half moon above that that's what we've seen and then it's they just draw them on top of the boobs for no reason there's nothing that causes them to do that they're just like okay just draw it on here and it's swastikas on her boobs well no they they come i don't know well, why here's the thing they complete it they say so before it was this symbol that looks you know odd and then they complete it out and so now it's like oh it's supposed to have all these other segments it's basically like it's a swastika within a circle. And that's what the half moon yep. thing at the top is. I'm not saying any of this makes sense or there's any reason it for it. It didn't make sense. And it didn't even, like, it It wasn't like, oh, okay, I see how they did that. It did. It was nothing. It was just like, all right, we're going to draw these swastikas on these boobs now. Like, it didn't, it didn't, well, it, it wasn't a puzzle. And, look, and the, the, the grandfather character, he prefaces that moment. Like, everyone's, like, mad. They don't like him at this at this moment. And he's like, wait, I'll explain everything. Just give me the notebook. And <laughs> yes, they give it yeah. to him. And he starts scrawling a swastika on a boob, and their reaction's like, oh, yes. instead of snatching the book away and saying, you're no help, <laughs> fuck you, we're going to deal with this ourselves. <laughs> it's, it's so insane. It is the most crazy, like, icing on this crazy cake. It's like, Why? Why? Yeah. <laughs> so angry. And also the fact that now that they're just believing the grandfather like wants to, because now he's like good. He was like wants to help them stop I think it. he wanted to stop, and based he, on his dialogue early in the movie, he was against the group. We just didn't know what the hell was going on. Oh, okay. For me, I thought he had willingly like gone this far and was now just, he, he said, you know, he already impregnated Well, he did that, but he said like, how did you find me? And like, we always knew where you were. We just like wanted you, you know, like we, you wanted to be left alone. So I think the Nazis were waiting out and, you know, for the girl to get grown up, he thought he had evaded them. Again, you have to piece this together from the fragments were given. <laughs> oh God. It's so dumb. So, and it still gets dumber. I mean, the you think you're like, oh, clearly we're towards the end. Don't worry. You want to talk about one moment? I think it was prior to this showdown where he is in a car yes. chase. Oh my god! And yes. he's being chased in the car. Detective homeless Santa. Yes. Yeah, and he he realizes that there is been a dynamite planted in his car because he picks it up. Like the Nazis are like wily he, coyotes. He realizes yeah. he realizes it because he's like banging on the radio and it like knocks dynamite loose at his feet. But yes, go on, Eric. 
And instead of chucking it out of the window, he jumps out of the car. Look, doesn't just jump out of the car. I have never seen a stuntman just like oh, it's so bad. fall out of a car, just like giving it the minimal effort to not break bones. Just like rag. They practically stop way. it. Yeah, practically this car slows down a whole lot and he like gently rolls himself out of the car and then it speeds up again. It's literally like he got a call that the check bounced and he was like, well, I'm already here. Fuck it. <laughs> and then he grabs one of the Nazis. And I think this is one of your favorite moments, Dusty. Yeah, he just he grabs the Nazi that's there who was driving around in, I think, a Caprice or something. Wait, no, he was driving. I love this because he was driving around in a car brand that hasn't existed for 20 years called Eagle. And they were cars that were essentially plastic that moved. <laughs> and you know, a good Nazi car. And he just starts punching this this Nazi who's not even yeah. reacting because the fight choreography is so bad that they can't even make a punch <laughs> look real. And he's asking him questions like, what about the elves? What's your plan? How many teeth do you have? Which I don't think anyone could answer in the moment, but then punches him again and says, how many teeth do you have now? <laughs> I, think, I think I have... 25, 2016, I don't know. Are we counting fillings? Do they count? I've got a crown. Well, funny you bring that up. Because then the Nazi starts foaming at the mouth because he did a cyanide on himself. (laughs) But why? But why? (laughs) Like, you are seven foot tall. You are the youngest Nazi here. And you are fighting a man whose lunch at one point in the movie was a cup of black coffee and a sleeve of Marlboro Red. Yeah, like a whole carton, and they show it for a long time. They really want you to know that he's like, okay, he's gonna smoke all these sitting here. You all just wait. Oh my god! Yeah. Like the cyanide bits, like when you're stuck and the the person knows too much and you don't want to give more way, but it's like, yeah, go tell the cops that there's a Nazi elf butt afoot. But, but no, like I'll, you know, that's the thing. Tell the cops about the Nazis after the shootout. Yeah, those cops, those detectives have completely disappeared. There was one key detective who knew uh, Detective Homeless San in the past. It's set up like, oh, Detective Homeless San is going to like prove himself at the end and, you know, he's going to get back on the force. Nope. None of that happens. And that detective just like completely disappears. All right. So basically all that goes down and then the girl gets this gem from the grandfather kind of looks like the the dark crystal like the sh- the shard of the dark crystal yes yes uh, but it's red and she's gonna go out into the woods and she has to destroy the elf she doesn't really know why because the grandfather is totally willing to talk about everything else but it's like oh you will know what to do um yeah and so she has to go out there and then the elf like oh oh i i did miss this part uh oh no it's, it's right here um the elf who is who's out there with her her brother it's the the well the main nazi comes first oh okay oh yeah okay so yeah the brothers as well but yeah there's so there's a main nazi who she falls in like a hole she's like they do a very she twist her yeah. ankle I she gets her i think her ankle gets caught yeah. in I think the original. Yeah, and they do a very hole. Bring it all back full circle. They do a very poor job. It's one of those kind of like I can't reach this thing, like that kind of deal. Um, But yeah, so there's this main Nazi, and he's trying to get her with the elf. But at some point, the elf is like trying to protect her, and this is one of my absolute favorite moments of the movie. The elf pulls out a gun, 
and shoots him dead because the knife was already funny but the gun now we have an elf an evil nazi elf operating a gun and it kind of reminds me of the there's an old monty python bit where they're like there's like these detectives and they're like crawling into some hole and they're like after a sheep or something in a very absurdist way. And a gun suddenly goes off and Graham Chapman comes back out and says, he's got a gun. (laughs) Dusty. I literally screamed. Oh no, it's learning. So yeah, so this, this I, I think he probably got the gun from one of the Nazis or something, like found it, but regardless, this hideous little puppet operates a gun, it's ludicrous, and then he's coming up to the girl, she can't get away, it's, you know, like, as, well, Eric, you, you pointed out when we were watching this about, like, the size of this thing, so why don't you talk about that? Oh, the size yeah, of the like, elf? Yeah, like, what, yeah. what people yeah. would do. <laughs> Oh, well, so, I mean, it's established very often in the movie that it's two feet tall. I think Haggerty says that the elf is two feet tall many times. And 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 just like in, in Ghoulies, uh, where there's two foot tall creatures killing people, there's, there's always a moment, and this happened in the mall scene, where the elf just it kills a person who is unwilling to either fight it or run away. And there's never even an attempt made to fight the thing, and it's two feet tall and you know even if it's hard to kill uh it's also you know we see that it's very slow any human being would naturally at least kick at it thank you slash at it with your fist it's so comfortable you know yeah it, it's just it's just and it happens it happens once in the first ghoulies movie too where the person just like accepts their fate and screams <laughs> and hopes something changes in the moment and it's not like you know we're not talking about jason Voorhees where it's like well, maybe it's pointless to try to fight him one-on-one, but you still might try. But this is just a, a thing, and even though you don't know what it is and it's scary, like, even if it was just a random animal and was trying to kill you, you'd flail and kick at it and just wouldn't let, let it just slowly slash you it's to death. It's the same kind of it's issue. Um, very ugly toddler. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. we all kick very ugly toddlers, right? I'm not saying you should. I'm saying you can't. Um, yeah, I mean, it's the same kind of issue that, like, the Child's Play movies have. I mean, they they a lot of those are done, I mean, all of them are done better than this. But a lot of them are <laughs> mm-hmm. done, you know, much better, especially, like, the, the first couple are quite fun. But I think even if you're a horror fan, for me, it's always been a pervasive thing of watching those movies of, like, you know, just give Chucky a good kick in the face. Like, you know, and now I, I will give it the, the movie some credit since Chucky is always going after in the early ones, Andy, and he's a literal child. So he's smaller and he's more comparable to Chucky's size. Whereas, you know, in some of these movies you're dealing with full grown adults, but still like, you know, you can punt a lot of these kind of things. So just to put you in the I, the mindset of where we're at, this girl may have twisted her ankle or something, but she's doing that movie thing of like, I'm hurt. I can't move. I, I have to get away. Mm-hmm. Like everything's slow. The thing's coming up to her incredibly slowly. He's not attacking her. He's not threatening her because he has a different goal in mind, Jack. There's also, while this is happening, you we haven't talked about where her brother is because I was furious about this plot point. So this is, she's in the woods and they're trying to like take care of it in the woods before they go to the woods. They're in the house. You talked about how she was given that crystal. She left it behind at the house. They run into the woods. She and her brother, they're running away. 
And then she gets, she trips and all the stuff we just talked about happened. And then she says to her brother, hey, go back and get the crystal. They've been running through the woods for like, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes. And at one point they get a little lost. Like he's like, I think we've seen this tree before. So it's like, they are some unknown distance away from the house. But she's like, hey, this, this elf is coming at me. You have to go back and get the crystal. So he runs back to get the crystal while we keep cutting back to her not fighting off this thing. And we know he has to be gone for like 20 minutes. So why? It's just so stupid. Why would you waste my time with this movie? You should have just had the crystal. What is the point of having this child run back and get it? Maybe it's to give him something to do with it. Cause that's the last we see of Haggerty when the kid gets back to the house and Haggerty says something. I can't remember what his last line is, but like, ah, go help her save her whatever. But he's like on the floor you know, he's been shot. We don't know if he's going to be okay. But... Save that for the seat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that, yeah, that was easily avoidable. So the, the kid's so running stupid. back with the, the crystal, crystal was important. Right? Is that right? Or, okay. Yeah. So he's coming back to crystal. Meanwhile, the elf is like crawling up her body. We get these like weird close-ups, and uh. then she gets the crystal and she like eventually is able to like stab the hole that she, they, her and her friends, <laughs> did magic dark magic over and the movie gets real trippy they're trying to do some kind of effect where everything's like slowed down or it's a result of really bad the tape version that everyone would see this on (laughs) but i think partly it's an effect and they like slow some stuff down and then the elf like blows up or something and dies horribly Is he I, it's it's really hard to tell what is happening other than you know that he died. The, the hole explodes like when she like the hole explodes when she throws the crystal. Yeah, in, explodes. And He's like we see the and stuff. The so ground. I mean, somehow he dies. Yeah, and then that leads us to our final moment, and uh, our final moment shows uh, an elf. Uh, so I guess technically there are two elves in this movie after all, but it shows an. What I what you would have to refer to as an elf fetus, mm-hmm. and it is growing in someone's womb, and you hear like a heartbeat, and that plays out as the credits roll. And so, I have a theory on this, but I'll put it to you: what happens in the end? I I don't know. Maybe the elf was successful because the little brother had to run 20 minutes back to this stupid I, house and maybe that I was the point. That's what happened. Yes. I'm pretty sure there's no other way you could interpret it because why else would like the fetus just stays there over the credits like it's just there. And it With this soothing away. music playing. Yeah. <laughs> so I like what else could that represent? But she's still struggling with the elf in the exact same way when the elf comes back. I think it's just one of those horror movie endings where they're like, we're going to do a twist. Like, I love the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Big fan. But the ending to the first one is so stupid. I mean, the ending to most of them is stupid. It's so dumb. Like, they succeed and everything. And then at the very end, it's like the car comes out and they're like, come on, let's get in the car. And then all of a sudden, Freddy's there and, like, he's the car or whatever and, like, kills all her friends. It's like, what? That doesn't even... That doesn't... It's just like one of those one last scare type yeah. things. Friday the 13th, like, did the, what a twist. Friday the 13th did the exact same thing with like Jason popping out of the water at the end of the first one when he was not actually the villain in yeah. that one. And then it, she yeah. wakes up and, oh, it's a dream. And so, yeah, it's the one last scare thing is like, is not a great look for most horror movies, but plenty of them do it. But now I do think 
the implication is that the elf was successful because we see them struggling on the ground. It's not overt, surprisingly, for this movie. Not for this movie. But it's not overt, but I think because the brother has to run away, because the girl, they write it in that the girl's ankle is injured, that she can't stop the elf. I think that's the idea. And so just one, so I would not call it one last scare as so much as like, one last one last one last twist. bad taste one last uh, a lingering <laughs> bad taste well, i think um <laughs> yeah i mean i think may, perhaps one of the scenes we missed that was vital when the kid was spending all that time getting the crystal was you know she's struggling with the elf so yeah maybe he is successfully inseminating and we probably just missed the last bit where he's just you know done and smoking a cigarette <laughs> and she's ashamedly putting her clothes back on <laughs> You well, know. Dan Haggerty had smoked all the cigarettes <laughs> on set, so they didn't have any left to use for that scene. Right, so they had to cut that scene. Oh, God, it's so bad. It's so stupid and makes no sense. And I shouldn't be that mad about it because nothing in this movie makes sense. Well, But I'm furious. The thing that really creeped me about it is it seemed like the elf was trying foreplay. <laughs> Ew. I think oh, there was a right. shot of him like uh, lifting up her skirt or something. Like, like, like touching her thigh like gently. Yeah, it was like very slowly, oh. like he was, you know, he was being sensual. He wasn't just gonna wham bam, thank you, ma'am. Yeah. You know, what? it's an important ritual. <laughs> oh, this is for the master race. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You gotta, you gotta take your time. Make sure you do it right. Look, he got an advanced copy of I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell. And we're the from Bruce B, and he's like, "All right, degrade her looks, touch her cheek in a creepy way, and then." Uh, well, he learned from uh, dead, baby that from has dead Santa, hair. who also uh, filled up her leg in that oh, scene. Right. Well, that's right. I forgot. Ugh, the I ultimate neg is to kill all our friends before. You <laughs> <die>. <laughs> oh boy, Eric! Eric Ooh. is uh, pulling out some good taglines <laughs> for some of these. He had a good one for "Don't hug me, I'm God. scared" last night uh, as well. All right, so that is our overview of the film Elves, um, which leads us to, would you recommend Elves? I, I, I think the fact that I think we've now spent more time talking about the movie than it was long, mm-hmm. I probably would recommend it because there is ends up being a lot to think about when you watch it. And for any fan of bad movies, it's definitely one... That'll give you some good stuff. <laughs> I, I think one for the books. I think this is one that it, you have to fill out an application ahead of time if you're gonna, <laughs> if your friends are gonna watch it with you, because it's gonna be like, have you seen a bad movie before? <laughs> have you seen, have you seen movies that have had made very poor decisions? Do you have any trigger <laughs> warnings? Okay, we're good. Oh. All right, elves. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of lot of trigger warnings for this one. There's uh, so many problematic uh, conversations about sex. Like, there's one where the girls are talking about if you didn't want to do it, and the guy was trying to make you do it. And one of the girls said, essentially, it's just easier. Uh, yeah, it's easier. Let it happen. Just, yeah, it's easier to just let it happen than uh, <laughs> confront him about it. And I'm like, what is happening? No, like, just. <laughs> It's it's problematic, uh, but oh, pro- just like Dusty I would say, said, problematic is underselling it. <laughs> I'm fair. Oh God, it's it's. I mean, I'm a huge fan of mystery science theater and riff tracks and all that. So it's, it, but this is like so much extra. Like there's just so many twists and turns you don't expect. 
but if you're into that if if you're a fan of mystery science theater or dialogue that barely passes as human speech then yeah you should watch this dusty yeah it's 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 a, a movie with a lot of really weird cocaine decisions and <laughs> I mean, one of the one of the things I was thinking is I, I was under the impression that this movie came out around the same time that Leprechaun had. Okay. And I think that's why it got the video release time that it did, because it would have been a year that after Leprechaun. Sense. That's true. Yeah. But at least with that movie, you have Warwick Davis, you have Jennifer Aniston, you have two people who just bleed charisma. And that's mm-hmm. that would be such a shitty thing to be expecting Leprechaun and then to get Dan Haggerty just slurring his way through a script he hasn't read. <laughs> And the fact that the the elf in, in this movie doesn't talk like yeah. he's leprechaun talks and he he's attempting later to be funny he at raps. times and yeah. he goes to yeah. space up in the hood come to do it all good. So uh. for me, uh, this is a movie that I have unleashed upon people a few times in the past. Uh, it's the first time I've done it for a podcast where we've all gotten to talk about it. But I do like this movie in terms of it just being like as trash cinema as it gets while probably still, I think it's still enjoyable. I've seen movies that are like in equal or worse taste, but I like watch them and I'll just be kind of like, I, there's nothing that I can appreciate about any of this. This movie, as much as we talked about as offensive as it can be and as like ludicrous as it be. And I do think the movie is like pretty sexist, like not just it. You do? No, I, 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 I want to be clear, from? like, but I, 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 I mean, not just in terms of the way women are depicted and things, but like how everything is structured from, from top to bottom. It's, it's coming from a very bad place. Um, so, so there's that. And we talked about like potential trigger warnings uh, that are associated with it. But yeah, I, I think there's a lot of genuinely funny parts, not on their own merits, just of how ludicrous it is. And for me, like I approach a lot of this stuff, especially a bad movie as like, it's all fiction. I mean, none of this is real. None of these are you know people that anything happened to. So I'm looking at it from almost an analytical point of view of like, okay, you made that decision. You went to to Nazi incest here. We're, we're taking the movie that direction. Okay. But yeah, like my notes for it, uh, I said it was a bad, bad movie with some of the oddest and most tasteless choices you could expect to see. And mm-hmm. I also said uh, that it lacks pretty much any amount of good taste and that the movie sort of octuples <laughs> down on everything. <laughs> I had to like figure out the number that I, cause I knew doubled wasn't good enough. And I had to figure out how high Not can I take this? Um, but yeah, like, but I still enjoy it as just, I mean, I do think it's one of the worst and most perplexing movies I've seen, but still mm. is able to enjoy it as a very like drunk movie. And, uh, and that's, <laughs> that's what I like about elves, but yeah, this is not something that you're going to sit down with the family. This is not a Christmas film. Do not mistake this one for the Will Ferrell movie Elf. Don't pop on elves. Um, and uh, and and also say uh, I didn't mention this earlier, but the way I kind of came about this, um, there's I, I do think this movie should be more famous in terms of like its badness, and I'm kind of surprised that it isn't. I think there's maybe one reason for it, but. I've seen like some other horror blogs and stuff have written about it. I guess the red letter media guys have talked on it a little bit, but this is a movie I kind of discovered 
I used to have a great video store growing up and they had tons of horror movies and I would see, you know, like the covers of stuff and just as a little kid, just be kind of like, what's that thing? And then, you know, not be able to rent them as a kid. But when I got older, I was like, oh, I'm going to finally check this out. And, and the cover of Elves is like a Christmas tree with a package in front, like all brightly covered, colored. And there's like a hand coming out of it, like a clawed hand and like tearing at the wrapping. So like the elf is like coming out of it. I think they're trying to play off of the gremlins look. I think they're trying to play into that little monster thing at Christmas. And... So yeah, I eventually saw it either in like high school or college, and I was just kind of blown away by how ludicrous and bad it was, but I don't see people talking about it much in the same way that other really bad horror movies get talked about. So I really wanted to uh, choose it for this, for this uh, Christmas episode to highlight elves. A weird side thing I just started looking into, because we've been talking about how shitty the elf design is. The guy who designed it, a fellow by the name of Vincent uh, Guastini, um, would later go on to create the uh, Golgotha shit demon oh. from Dogma. Um, did early right. concept work for the 2001 Hannibal and designed the Langoliers in that really weird Stephen King miniseries. All right. So, yeah. so maybe give the guy a budget. <laughs> so his career survived. Um, oh, yeah, he's still working. But so this leads to uh, the question that I have for all these films going forward now is, can I find this? And for Elves, um, this is one where, this is part of the reason that I think it's not as well known as some things. I mean, Jack's point earlier of just how kind of nasty the movie is and why it's not gonna be on a mystery science theater. I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if Rift Tracks did it since that's so much more independent. It can just record mm -hmm. something, you put it on the movie, it's not actually out over the air. But uh, yeah, I mean, this is definitely not something that I think the MST3K guys would have done, or at least they would have had to cut around a good... I mean, they had so to cut much. around the nudity, obviously, but then the central plot involves stuff that I don't know if they would roll with that or if they would like... But the, the swastikas are such an important part of the plot... How could yeah. you skip that? How so could you? it tied it all. Jack's getting verklempt over uh, over okay. elves, but it tied it all together, Linton. But yeah, so uh, but can I find this? Uh, so this is a tricky one to some degree. It is actually in full on YouTube now. Uh, somebody has uploaded it in the last few years, so you should be able to find it that way. Although it could get pulled, possibly possibly for its content. I wouldn't be too surprised, but it is on YouTube in full, but it's, uh, this is another one where you would have to find it as like an underground thing, like a torrent or something, because this movie has never been released on any form of media outside of VHS tape. So there is no DVD of this. There is no Blu-ray. There is certainly no 4k. Uh, I don't believe there is any streaming. I didn't look into that because I, if it didn't get to DVD, I don't think it got to streaming. But uh, you can find on YouTube all the versions I've ever seen, which is the YouTube version. And um, the file that I have is a like pan and scan VHS copy that somebody got. So that's that's all that's out there, I think. I think you just would have to have a bootleg or if you somehow track down an original VHS tape of uh, of elves. So. 
Elves is uh, a little bit more challenging to find, but like I said, YouTube, it's available as of this recording. Um, so that wraps us up for our special Christmas episode. And we will be back next time, and we will be looking at Strange Days, which is a 1995 movie by Catherine Bigelow, and it focuses on New Year's Eve, as New Year's Eve as a backdrop, so that is why we are choosing that. And James Cameron co-wrote the script. So we're going to be looking at 1995 Strange Days. See you then.